0: Um, in the midst of this Christmas season, you've come um, looking to make it all about Jesus because that's what we're going to make it all about in this church and in this worship service today. There's, that is not to say that, that all the trappings of the, the Christmas season, as Adam alluded to in his prayer mo- a moment ago, aren't wonderful. I love them all. Um, but we need to be reminded and we need to be grounded um, that this season, that Christmas, is all about Jesus, because the world's not going to get that, right? Therefore, we as the church need to be reflecting him in everything we do, especially during the season, but all throughout the year, right? So I hope that's why you came today. I hope you're enjoying the, the Christmas caroling. That's all wonderful and all that stuff, but um, remember that all those songs and all the, 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 the things that we do, pointing us to him, to Jesus. How many of you have ever heard of Freeport, Illinois? Raise your hands. First service, there's a whole bunch of people, just a few of you. Um, just outside of Freeport, Illinois, I've shared this with you before, uh, was, I, is a little town called Florence Station, Illinois. It's not, I, wouldn't, I don't even think it's a town, to be honest with you, because it's about five houses, uh, Grinnell, or a grain elevator, and a church and a cemetery. That's all that consists of uh, Florence Station, Illinois and that was where my first church or the where I was a pastor uh, many many years ago and uh, I loved those people because when I the fact that they allowed me to be their pastor was kind of miraculous and probably lacked judgment because I didn't have any idea what I was doing <laughs> but I did know that I loved Jesus and they they gave me the foundation for ministry that I have been building or the God's been building on me for the last 40 years and um, it was at that church that I preached my first Christmas series, and it was I preached this series uh, um, from the perspective of Mary, and one week it was from the perspective of Joseph, uh, and the next week it was from the perspective of the wise men, and then finally of um, of the angels. And I did a great job, by the way, my first time. <laughs> Luckily, no Lisa. Is the only one that was there. So the rest of you just have to presume I did a great job. And every year since then, I have been um, preaching and teaching the same story to whoever would listen during the Christmas season. Uh, I've tried to be uh, a little nuanced and maybe share it from different perspectives. Uh, and, and maybe, hopefully, in, in different and creative ways, but it's the same story. For 40 years, I've been, I've been teaching and preaching on this nativity story, this story of Christmas. Which is why I, I stand before you today to confess that I've been doing it wrong for nearly 40 years. Yeah, and I'll tell you why. Just recently, I, I had an epiphany. It, it wasn't anything new, necessarily, But I began to have some dots connected for me with regards to the Christmas story. You see, um, prior to this year, when I thought about the Christmas story and the beginnings of the Christmas story, I always presumed and have taught that the Christmas story, the beginning of the Christmas story, occurred in Bethlehem. Or to even put a finer point on it, um, that it occurred on that day when an angel appeared to a teenager in Nazareth. To proclaim that God had chosen her by his sovereign grace to be the mother of the Messiah, right? We know the story, Mary. But that's not the beginning of the Christmas story. You're saying, but Pastor, I've known this story my whole life. That is the beginning of the Christmas story. Well, no, it's not. There's actually the beginning of the Christmas story from an earthly perspective anyway, um, actually began 2,000 years or longer than that before that day that the angel appeared to a teenager in Nazareth. And understanding that or connecting those dots are important. For us to understand what Christmas is really all about, to understand that Christmas is really part of a larger plan that God has to save the world to save you, so um, I don't know if y'all have received in your mailboxes this week these uh, postcards. These are postcard invitations. To um, there's actually eighteen thousand of these went out this past week, and um, they went out to people in Cedar Rapids and in uh, uh, Walford and Fairfax and Ely and Shrewsbury and Swisher, all over the area inviting folks to come and join us here at Prairie Bible to explore the answer to the question that is presented on these cards. Who needs Christmas? Now you may think that sounds like a... Well, the answer to that, that's a simple question with a simple answer. You think you already know, don't you? And you probably already do. But before you jump to any conclusions today... For you to um, more fully understand the answer that you think you probably already know to this question, I want to share with you the story behind the story. Because the story behind the story will help you know why the answer you think you know is so important. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them up to the Old Testament book of Genesis chapter 12. Which is found on page 10 of the Church Bibles, if that's what you're using. Because actually, um, the Christmas story, from an earthly perspective, the first time it's really talked about is right there. In Genesis chapter 12, um, the earth was relatively young. Um, But even though the earth was relatively young, it had already become quite a mess. It was such a mess by this time that two times in the earth's short history, God had already had to intervene two times, as I mentioned, to keep us from destroying ourselves. The first one you probably are familiar with. Probably both of them you are, at least from a Bible story perspective. But what I need you to hear is that, that God had to intervene in the flood. You know the story of the flood, right? And he had to intervene in the destruction of the Tower of Babel because we human beings, our sinful nature had played itself out in such a way that if God didn't intervene in those moments, it would, we would have destroyed everything. So, our sinful nature caused God to intervene in the mess that we had made in of the world. Now, you need to understand, as, as I pause here in the story for a moment, what you need to understand is the fact that everything was a mess at this particular point in history did not come as a surprise to God. God knew that we human beings were going to mess everything up. But he believed it was worth it to, to allow it to happen. And, and Because God, more than anything, wanted to... Share his love with with his children. But I need you to hear me. God, knowing that he, he, he he had created these image bearers, which is what you are. You are an image bearer of God. Did you know that? He created us as his children to share his love with. And in so doing, he created us as his children with something called free will. And he knew that when he created us for with free will, that our freedom would oftentimes lead to sin and brokenness. And that our sin and brokenness would be played out in some horrific ways. But it was worth it. Because God didn't want children that would be like robots or puppets. I've told this story many times before, but it bears repeating. When my, when my kids were little, I'd come from, home from, from church or wherever. I was at a meeting, and, and um, I could have made them, because they were little and I was bigger than them, I could have made them run up to me and give me a hug. But I didn't want them to feel that way. I wanted them to want to come up and give me a hug, right? You understand? You understand? That's what you would want too. That's what any parent would want. Not to to make their kids feel obligated to love them, but to choose to love them. Well, that's what God wants from you. So he created you with the freedom to choose whether you would respond to him in love or not. He's already chose to respond to you. Now the question is, in your freedom, will you choose to respond to him? Will you choose to be a part of his plan? That free will is our greatest treasure and in some respects, our greatest curse because of the way it's been played out, because of the way it's been lived out in the world. And as I alluded to a moment ago, had God not intervened, we would have destroyed everything with our sinfulness. So what what needed to happen? Knowing that there was this tension between um, the fact that God knew we were going to, make a mess out of things if we had free will. And knowing that he wanted more than anything else to be able to choose freely, he knew that there was going to be a mess in between and that there needed to be a plan to reconnect his sinful children with who he was as pure and holy God. And what happens is, is here in Genesis chapter 12, God begins to cast the vision for his plan. So um, let's first of all, um, God in his sovereignty chooses a vessel named Abraham or Abram. We know him as Abraham, but he, at this point in his life, he was known as Abram. And you need to understand something about Abram. He was a mess just like you and me. As you read the story, one of the things I love about the biblical story is that God never pulls any punches. He never like sets it up and everything's just, everybody's just, we see by reading Abraham's story that he was as messed up as you are. Yet in God's sovereign grace, he chose this messed up human being just like you to begin the plan that would save the world. Watch this. Let's read it together. In Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. He's casting a vision. And I want you to hear something about what I'm saying here. What, Abram was a sinful human being just like you and me. But the thing that, that made him kind of different was that when God asked him to do something, he said yes. He didn't even ask any questions. Well, at least it's not recorded in the Scripture. He just, by faith, if God asked him to do it, he did it. And here, God, without even telling him where he's supposed to go, where he wants him to go, he says, he says I want you to go from your country. I want you to leave your family, your father's house, the, that which was, has been your home your whole life, and I want you to go because I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to give you this new land, and I'm going to make of you a great nation And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So did you see it? Did you hear it? Look real close if you didn't because... In that passage of scripture, you will find the earthly beginning of the, of the Christmas story. Look at verse 3 again. He says, And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What God was saying to Abram, in that, even though he didn't know, all he knew that he, God said, God's going to bless the whole... But he didn't know that, that what he was really saying was that through this great nation that he's going to create, from, this, from his lineage, would come a Messiah that would save the world. What Abram didn't know at the time was that God was so sold out to this plan that would save the world that he was willing to leave his throne in heaven... To become one of us, to fulfill the plan. What Abram didn't know was that, that when God did that, when he left his throne as heaven to come and, and he would come as a babe lying in a manger, right? That's where we think of the Christ. But he didn't know any of that. He didn't know that God would come not as a as a as a conquering king or as some great general of a of an army. He would come as a babe lying in a manger. Born to an unwed teenager in a culture that if they had been left to their own devices and they had known what was really going on, they would have chosen to stone both the child, God, and the mom. He didn't know any of that. He didn't know that this plan that, that God had established that he had alluded to here in Genesis chapter 12. He didn't know that the plan actually had a name. And the name is Jesus. Without Jesus, the world has no hope. The world will try to come up with all kinds of other alternative plans of salvation None of them are good enough. There's only one that is good enough. And his name is Jesus. That's the plan. Jesus is the plan. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, God answers the question, who needs Christmas? We all need Christmas. Every single one of us. It's through Abraham, that God will bless all the families of the earth with a plan whose name is Jesus. Jesus is the plan. It is so easy in the middle of the Christmas season and all those traditions that we love. I mentioned last week that I I love all the traditions of, of Thanksgiving. I do. I love all the traditions of Christmas even more. All of them. But we can never lose sight of the fact that that stuff that you love about Christmas is not the plan. Jesus is the plan. Jesus is God's plan. And there in Genesis chapter 12, God begins to share the plan with all of us. The question then becomes, what is God's plan for you? Well, I'll tell you, God's plan, God's hope, is that you will become part of His plan. As I mentioned earlier, God loves you enough to let you make your own choices. He's not going to make you run to Him and give Him a hug. You get to choose. But it is God's desire that you will choose to become part of the plan, that you will choose to become part of the family, that you will choose to receive the love that He's already decided He wants to give to you, and you get to decide whether you will receive And then you get to decide whether you will share it with the world. you get to decide. So how do we do that? How do we go begin this process? Um, We talk about it every week here, right? The, The process begins, the plan begins for you in recognizing that you are a sinner. And you are a sinner. That is not politically correct. I know we live in a world that doesn't like to talk about brokenness or, or sinfulness. We try to, in fact, we live in a world that tries to make excuses for our brokenness and sinfulness and call it right. It's not right. You're a sinner and so am I. And the first step in the plan is to confess that. Admit to God and to yourself, I am a sinner. And step number two is to repent. See, it's not good enough just to say, yeah, I know I'm broken. I know I'm a sinner. You must then repent. You must turn from your sin towards the cross. And I want you to notice up here. You notice that 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 cross is empty? See, the fullness of the plan, Christmas Means nothing without Easter. And the reason why we have an empty cross is because that little baby that was born in a manger that we celebrate every Christmas grew to be a man, would die on the cross from no cause of his own, but from your cause, the cause of your sin. And then on the third day, he would rise again on the third day. And that's why the cross is empty, because Jesus already won. That's the plan. That's the fullness of the plan. And the question then becomes, are you, do you desire to be a part of the plan? Because God already said he wants you to be. And the way you become part of the plan is then by confessing your sin, repenting of it, and then submitting to Jesus as Lord. If maybe on this uh, first Sunday in December, is the day that you're supposed to make that choice. Maybe you've been going to church your whole life and you've heard this same story in nuanced and creative ways for years after years. But maybe today is the first day that you've actually heard the story and you understand the plan. If that's you, right over there is our prayer room. And it'd be my privilege to lead you in that prayer of salvation and lordship. If there's anything else going on in your life that that you may need prayer for,